Hello listeners and welcome to the 39th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host Devlin Riggs and I'm recording this week in Boston, Massachusetts, (coughs) Uh, excuse me, Uh, where I'm traveling for work and doing my best to eat the city's entire supply of lobster rolls before heading back to the lobsterless Midwest tomorrow evening. If you're a new listener or recently started tuning into the shows, by all means, welcome. But uh, you could be under the impression that I am some sort of road warrior who lives in airports and hotel rooms while jet-setting around to exotic locations like Myrtle Beach and Toronto and Topeka, Kansas. But in truth, nothing could be further from the truth, and I've just had an uncharacteristically packed fall as I pick up some additional responsibilities at my real job. Uh, This has all afforded me the opportunity to try out several rental cars, um, a couple of which I'll review a little later on, and that's nice, but my real job is paying for it, and it's not like I'm rolling around in BMWs. In fact, the Nissan Sentra that I had in Myrtle Beach the past two days and the Ford Fiesta sedan that I picked up here in Boston, which, by the way, driving in Boston may be one of the worst things you can do in a car next to eating soup on a cobblestone road or smoking crack cocaine ever, but... All this traveling takes me away from my home and my family, and that's especially tough during the holiday season. And uh, I, as, I, as my wife and I try to finish a basement rebottle, I'm really looking forward to having my schedule calm down a bit starting next week. In the meantime, I'm halfway through a four-pack of local microbrews and will continue to sample the local libations throughout the show. But no editing. One take. Let's do it. Other hotel residents be damned. Anyway, you didn't come here to listen to me bitch about traveling. You came to hear about cars. So here are your top stories. Autonomous cars. Yes, we've been here before many times, but the future of motoring without humans continues to creep upon us more quickly. Or does it? The uh, This week, Porsche came out with some strong language predicting that it would be the last car maker to still be putting steering wheels in its cars. Uh, Lutz Mechke, one of Porsche's executive board members, says that while other car companies are focusing more on autonomy as a safety and convenience feature, Porsche is looking at those and how they may use autonomous functions to help coach better driving techniques to owners, something useful if they're still depending on humans to drive the machines, which Porsche maintains is essential to the driving experience in its cars, which I definitely appreciate, but think is kind of hardly unique to them. I mean, sure, Porsche and Lamborghini are a bit more showy than Porsche, but they are no less meant to be driven. You know, Jalopnik writer Raphael Orlov opined this week, that uh, what would happen if autonomous cars never happened. The gist of the story broke down to the fact that humans or that cars with human drivers could be made safer, as could the infrastructure 
at, which would lead to uh, uh, a, a reduction in road fatalities, which is a major push behind autonomous vehicles in general. He compares driverless cars with several other technologies that we have been on the verge of breakthroughs in, but have never really realized, which is a stretch since Waymo's autonomous vehicles, uh, and Waymo is just one company developing this technology, they've already driven 4 million miles entirely, entirely autonomously. Uh, we also heard this week that Apple is looking into leasing uh, Chrysler's old vehicle testing grounds in Arizona to continue developing their own self-driving technology. So it doesn't look like we're in danger of this just petering out the same way virtual reality did. Uh, just not with this many players on the field and not in this late in inning. But the whole Jalopnik article ignores what is most... Uh, what uh, what what is largely the most compelling argument for autonomous vehicles, and that is convenience. Self-driving cars may be safer than human drivers in most scenarios, but the reality is that technology is expensive and will for a long time be relegated to just the most expensive vehicles, leaving poorer consumers to rely on older vehicles with less safety technology as a means of transportation simply because it's what they can afford. The roads won't be any safer because you'll have a mix of driverless cars and human-driven vehicles that for the foreseeable future. And what will happen, though, is that wealthier consumers will get to meetings on time and with their PowerPoints polished and queued up because they've had the time to do that in their car on the drive to work this morning because the car drove them to work that morning. So it's true that autonomy and, uh, uh, autonomy in vehicles is still a way off. Yes, definitely that's true. De despite whatever Elon Musk tells you, even Chevy's autonomous Bolt got confused by a taco truck this week when showing off the technology to the public on Tuesday. But hey, who hasn't gotten the, some sort of poisoning from a taco truck this uh, I mean, whether technologically or digestively. Uh, but when will it happen? Uh, it'll happen at some point because we live in an autonomous world where we stick our hands underneath a faucet and expect, expect water to come out, where we walk up to a glass door and anticipate it will open for us. The next big step in our automatic world is cars, so we better embrace it and also celebrate the Porsches of the world who want to keep driving fun for when we want it to be fun. Now, here are some quick hits for you. The United Audio Workers Union, or UAW, met today, actually, to come up with a list of candidates for leadership positions starting next year, which could have a major impact on the future of the organization. Uh, if you've been listening to the headlines or to this very podcast, you'd know that the UAW has had an awful year with investigations into corruption over educational funds to failing to unionize a glass factory, a Nissan plant, or Tesla's workforce. The next couple of years could be a real turning point in the UAW as anti-union sentiment grows among some of the workforce and as pro-business policies spread throughout the conservative-governed states. So any new leadership will have its work cut out for it. 
In any case, these elections are scheduled things and not necessarily happening in response to any particular failure on the part of the executives, but yeah, there, there have been plenty of which to choose from if you want to blame that. So, remember how General Motors sold Opel and its sister brand, Vauxhall, to Peugeot Citroën Group earlier this year because they decided that Europe sucks and is for chumps? Well, the PSA Group has decided that they were made to look like chumps because GM lied about the extent to which the diesel scandal surrounded Opel. So, they are politely requesting a slight refund on the purchase price. And by slight refund, I mean they're asking for $700 million of the $1.4 billion they paid for the Ducar brand. So basically, they want half their money back. And, politely, and by politely requesting, I do actually mean they are politely requesting because they haven't filed anything formal yet, though they can get an international arbitrator. Arb, arb, uh, arbitrator. There, there are the three beers, three beers at work international arbitrator to weigh in on the whole thing. Um, though I've never met GM CEO Mary Barra before, but I feel like I can kind of predict what her answer's going to be there to BSA Group. Accio Toyota, the CEO of Toyota, the world's largest car company, can hardly be accused of being complacent at the top. He, who has previously been videoed shredding tires doing a burnout in the GT86, understands that the debasing of Toyota brand starts at the top, which is why Toyota is undergoing some wild changes to its leadership over the next couple months. In total, 56 executives will be promoted to new roles, 121 will be transferred to other divisions, and 17 will be dismissed, which is a polite way of saying retired, which is a polite way of saying fired uh, as of January 1st. Statements made by the company reference the rapid transformation of occurring in the automotive industry and that all of the changes are in an effort to stay a step ahead of the competition. With new concepts appearing at every auto show and a forthcoming Supra rebirth, a Camry that doesn't bore you to death, and a shit ton of crossovers, Toyota looks like it's really on the right path. So let's hope it continues that way. In other news... Tesla was in headlines this week after Reuters spoke to nine current and former employees who relayed that as much as 90% of the vehicles produced by the car company have to be fixed before they can be sent out to consumers. Tesla responded to the story saying that they thought it was uh, just meant that they were uh, committed to quality. But uh, Tesla is just fixing the problems that they find and that they're leaving it up to their customers to find the rest for them, which they are frequently leading to these poor consumer reports ratings. The problem here is manifold. I mean, Tesla is led by someone who consistently sets wildly unrealistic goals to drive up his company's value and attract investors. Then the products they produce... Uh, are unnecessarily complicated and fancy, requiring hand production for some parts, which slows down the production process. Then they get behind on orders and they have to speed up the issues, which lead to quality problems. But instead of fixing the issues, 
Elon Musk will come out and tease something else, drawing attention away from the dumpster fire and towards a shiny object that investors can't look away from. And I, I mentioned last week that uh, Bob Lutz thinks that Tesla is doomed to fail, and while Bob is definitely a, a, a crazy old guy, uh, he has a ton of industry experience, and he knows what it takes to run a car company because that's exactly what he did at General Motors, who are having very few problems with their Bolt. Whether Musk likes it or not, unless they can learn how to be a car business instead of an internet hype machine, Tesla could have problems, and Lutz may be right before too long. And after all, investors aren't patient forever. Good news, though, for anti-Tesla electric vehicles, which, despite what you may hear in this podcast, I'm really not. I, they just need to get their shit together. Anyway, Lucid Motors, makers of an, the Air EV that sports a 1,000 horsepower and possesses a legitimate threat to Tesla if they can actually get up and running, uh, has grown too large for their headquarters in Menlo Park, California, and is moving to Newark. Uh, not New Jersey. Uh, no, car <laughs> no car company should ever move to Newark, New Jersey. Uh, it's still in California, and they're still moving forward with their cars. And uh, honestly, that's about all there is to this story. But hey, good for them, right? Uh, with the completion of the current Formula One season that saw Lewis Hamilton and his dominant Mercedes once again trounce the rest of the field, program bosses have decided it's time for an update but not uh, an update to the rules or to the cars, but to the old logo, which has been around since 1987, apparently. Uh, the old logo featured a stylized F, which formed a 1 in the negative space between it and some tapered lines meant to simulate speed. Uh, it, it wasn't a great logo, okay? But it worked, and maybe in 1987 it was the Bee's Knees, which I'm sure was still a saying they used in 1987. Uh, meanwhile, the new logo looks like they took the Grand Tour TV show's logo, copied the font, and made it look more boring and derivative, which, as a designer, I just freaking hate. That's not to say I could do better, but I do know dogs with more creativity than it took to come up with the new F1 logo. But hey, uh, we're, we're all looking forward to the new season, guys. Uh, in Crime Watch news this week, it's uh, Grand Theft Auto Abound. Uh, first in England, thieves made off with a brand new Mercedes C-Class without even breaking a window. Uh, they used a couple of devices to pull off the caper. One to copy the radio signal from the key inside the owner's house and another to repeat that signal back to the car, meaning the car thought its key was present and unlocked itself and allowed the, key, the thieves to just hop in, start it, and drive away. Uh, this is sort of terrifying to <laughs> people with keyless entry cars like myself uh, because surely thieves who invest thousands of dollars in expensive technology to help steal cars in less than a minute are keen to deprive me of my high-mileage Mazda hatchback. Uh, hell, I'm not, I'm not even sure why they just settled for a C-Class. I mean, you could go E-Class, you could go F S class 
let's just aim higher, crooks, okay? Forget the Mazdas. Um, also, Crims managed to steal four Teslas from a dealership in Salt Lake City, which I can tell you from my uh, trip there in the spring of this year is brimming with Teslas for w whatever reason. Um, the whole situation here is really pretty sketchy with uh, one of the burglars pulling up behind a Salt Lake police officer while he was on a traffic stop and presenting a large bag of keys to the officer. He claimed his name was Tesla, which definitely didn't trigger any sort of alarms or anything. Uh, the cops grew suspicious and found that this guy, whose actual name was Shane Smith, had somehow procured the keys to the dealership and then gone in and procured a bunch of other things to the dealership, including keys to other cars. Um, and he gave them to friends so that they could just run off with other Teslas that did the dealership. Uh, when asked why he decided to randomly turn himself in, uh, Shane responded, you know, what would Brigham Young do? That's, that's, a, that's a Mormon joke. Um, a study from some idiot Purdue University, Go are you! has uh, determined that Pokemon Go has caused more than 100,000 traffic accidents. Uh, apparently, these idiots took the data from one Indiana county and extrapolated to the entire nation to reach their numbers, which seems both lazy and incorrect, but hey, I'm sure they got a quality education there in fucking Podunk, West Lafayette, Indiana. What wasn't included in their study was how many calories were burned by actually getting nerds to walk in the park for once in their goddamn lives. Desperate to be taken seriously, uh, Formula E did something no real racing series ever does this weekend, staged a race between a Formula E car and a cheetah. Obviously, the cheetah is the fastest land animal on Earth and accelerates much faster then uh, still a rather large mechanical object, but the cat tops out at 70 while the car can do almost 140, which for a race car still seems actually kind of slow. Uh, in any case, you'll be happy to know that the Formula E car won because whoever planned the race, I'm sure, calculated whatever distance would be between when the cat ran out of steam and when the car actually got up to speed, but... If you have a chance to watch the video sometime, don't. It's it's dumb. In other cat-related news this week, the owner of a Prius did no favors to the reputation of fellow Prius owners by failing to realize she had hit a bobcat until an hour and 50 miles later. Uh, fortunately, the bobcat was still stuck in in the grill of her Prius, uh, held above the road by some wire and a plastic splash guard, upon realizing she had hit and then transported a pretty large wild animal in the front of her car, the woman called Animal Control to come and remove it. Naturally, the cat hissed at the people trying to help it, because cats are assholes, but uh, this particular cat only sustained a minor cut to its back, so it's probably out back trying to not hitch rides with oblivious drivers again. Now for some rental review. 
Yes, I still don't have an intro for this, despite the fact that I apparently only drive rental cars now, but uh, I wanted to pass some quick judgment on the two rental cars that I have uh, driven this week, namely the Nissan Sentra and the Ford Fiesta, uh, by virtue of the fact that I do not necessarily get to pick the rental car I get um, by virtue of the fact that I work for a company that requires me to justify renting a car above the bare minimum vehicle. I frequently rent the bare minimum vehicle and just take whatever's given to me. Um, the Nissan Sentra, it, you know, it, it, it feels very much like the Nissan Altima that I have, except it has the 2.5 liter instead of the 3.5 liter, which therefore makes it slower and more boring to drive. It also has the CVT, which is very similar to the Nissan Rogue that I consequently did not enjoy at all. Um, but... Uh, that that I mean everything is relative and 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 how much I enjoyed the Nissan Sentra really was determined a lot by how much I enjoyed the Ford Fiesta so in terms of the exterior of these cars they're both sort of just compact cars there there's really nothing in between them apart from the fact that the rear end of the the Fiesta is much higher and uh, harder to get your bags in and out of. Uh, <clears throat> in terms of the interior, the seat in the Sentra is a much less comfortable than the Ford Fiesta, but the Fiesta's controls are more spread out than the than the Sentra. So it, it, there's kind of nothing in between them. In terms of entertainment, the, the Sentra absolutely has the Fiesta beat. It's got a rear-view camera. It's got Bluetooth that hooks up. I hooked my phone up to Ford's sync system in the Fiesta, and for some reason I still cannot play music through Bluetooth through the Ford Fiesta. I, I have to just listen to the radio, which as a person who's paid for Spotify Premium for several years, is just excruciatingly bad. So it, it's really frustrating to drive this Fiesta with the sync system that uh, won't let me play my music even when I'm physically wired up with a USB cable. Uh, other interior-wise, I mean, the, the beige Fiesta is ugly the black Sentra is more attractive um <clears throat> entertainment wise the uh, uh Sentra just again blows away the Fiesta cuz it has a, a color touchscreen it has a backup camera you can see what songs you're listening to whereas the sync system and the Fiesta is really clunky and hard to get around with their little directional pad thing in the center of the display, which is pretty ugly and, and not really functional. The powertrain in the the Sentra, I, I thought it was really aggravating when I was driving it because although the, the 2.5 liter four-cylinder motivates the Sentra much better than it did the, um, the Rogue, it still relies on the continuously variable transmission. And it, 
CVT is generally never preferable to a standard gear transmission unless you are driving a Ford Fiesta with a standard geared automatic transmission, which is a piece of shit. Um, the the Fiesta is uh, is it really glitchy? It's tippy. If you just tap on the gas, it just jolts for it. If you tap on the brakes, then it lurches to a stop. It there's no finesse to it whatsoever. The Transmission is constantly hunting for gears, whereas the Sentra just seemed to have a better idea of when the power was needed, despite the fact that it was a CVT. Uh, I never thought I would be in a situation where I, where I would prefer a CVT to a, a, a standard multiple gear transmission, but when comparing these two cars, I absolutely do. Um, though in terms of driving impressions, the, the steering in the, the Fiesta is so much more intuitive than it was in the Sentra. The Sentra, I found myself constantly just sawing at the wheel back and forth to try to get it to go in a straight fucking line, which it seemed to be refusing to do. Um, I, I had no sense for the road. I, it, it, it just did not have any communication for what the steering was like in the Sentra, and I was able to go a lot faster in the Sentra along these uh, uh, rural North Carolina roads than I am in these Boston suburbs in the, the, the Fiesta, but at the same time, I know that I'm getting more feeling out of the feel, or, or out of the wheel in the Fiesta than I was out of the Sentra. So if you could somehow marry the powertrain in the Sentra to the transmission and the steering feel in the Fiesta, you would have a genuinely nice car. But Overall, I mean, it, when I think about these two vehicles and I think about the car I have at home, a Mazda 3 hatchback, um, you know, there are a lot of things that I dislike about my Mazda hatchback. It's generally underpowered. It's hard to keep up with traffic sometimes. But when comparing it to some of the its competitors like the Sentra and the, the Fiesta, even though I know it's a little up, more upmarket and would be more comparably... Uh, equipped to a, a, a focus, uh, the, f <laughs> the Mazda 3 somehow seems really nice in comparison with both of these, and I, I'm genuinely glad that I get to go home and drive it tomorrow, which I absolutely cannot wait to do. Now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my this week was the Los Angeles International Auto Show, which always holds a special place in my heart because it's the only major one I've been to where I've had a press pass to. It's usually a sure bet that there will be a bunch of new cars unveiled here, and you know what that means... Except, no. Sorry, L.A., but you did not bring it hard enough this year to get a wrap-up. Sure, it, it could be that I have been traveling a lot and have not had enough time to write an entire song about an auto show. 
but I I do not honestly feel like my effort has has to has been earned by LA and that this level has not been reached this year, which is why you are not getting a wrap up LA Auto Show. And the reasons for this are several. So here we go. Reason number one, boring new cars. You want to take a guess at the kind of new cars that dominated the LA Auto Show. Here's a hint, and it rhymes with floss clovers. Uh, okay, that didn't work. It's crossovers. Yes, crossovers, crossovers, crossovers. Don't we have enough of these already? I'm uh, apparently not. So what did we get? Uh, a new Lexus RX, the premium vehicle choice among suburban soccer moms ever since minivans got a bad rap. The thing is, it never really replaced minivans because it didn't get the third row of seats. Until now, everyone get excited because the RX finally catches up with the Acura MDX and stuffs a tiny, uncomfortable, not adult-worthy third row of seats and finally realizes its destiny as a shitty minivan substitute. In other exciting news, Lexus has uh, uh, made their largest SUV, the LX, available without a third row of seats. So if you decide you haven't had that many friends because you spent all of your evenings working overtime so that you could afford the $80,000 Land Cruiser instead of being social, you can have that. So basically, Lexus deleted some seats, then added some seats, and called it a day. Uh, wait, wasn't I just talking about Toyota not being complacent? Uh, shit. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, the uh, Subaru Ascent, which uh, stays true to the Subaru design language of sticking other companies' vehicles on the copy machine, but setting the reproduction to half resolution and clicking enter. Um... They uh, they dial it, dialed it down to just barely acceptable. This three-row SUV is so boring and transparently intended for the American audience that it comes with 19 fucking cup holders. 19! Who is carrying that amount of cups? I mean, even with all eight seats taken, that's more than two cups apiece. If you're thinking that this this the scent is going to be some sort of big WRX, I'm sorry. It does have the turbocharged four-cylinder, but only puts out 260 horsepower, which is below its chief competitors. So not only does it look boring, it probably drives boring too. But hey, if you drive around with 19 cups full of shit, you can do it in the Subaru Ascent. Uh, then Lincoln introduced another crossover, the new MKX, which has been renamed the Nautilus because, and this is actually really, really good. Uh, Lincoln has determined that their stupid alphanumeric naming convention that was confusing to buyers and should be scrapped. You hear that, Infinity? 
Anyway, it's just like the old MKX, but it looks a little different, and the 70-year-olds who continue to have an unreasonably large vehicle for their needs um, can continue to take out money from their pension checks each month to pay uh, each month to pay for it. Uh, not that I'm bitter or anything about that. Uh, speaking of Infinity, though, I'm I'm having a hard time with this next one. Uh, you know I'm a fanboy, and I want to like their vehicles, but they went and did exactly what I said they would do. While the old QX50 was based on the glorious, balanced, well-handling FM platform, Infinity and their infinite wisdom has decided to transition the FX50 to a new front-wheel drive platform with optional all-wheel drive. What does this mean? No more sports car-like handling, but instead you're getting a fucking fancy Nissan Rogue. So, sure, it comes with Nissan's new variable compression engine, which engineer, which is an engineering masterpiece and, and, and makes the normal 2.5 liter in the Rogue look like some Stone Age relic that it honestly sort of is. But how fast it goes and how efficient it is means nothing. Nothing! If it's not also fun to drive. And by doing away with the platform that they knew was great. Infinity has put an arrow in the knee of their own palace guard, to borrow a Skyrim reference. But you know what? It won't matter. People will still buy the absolute shit out of this car because it looks good and it's comfortable and it offers the best possible compromise between the size of car that people actually need and the size that they think they need and most buyers can't get uh, can't give a single shit about driving dynamics so the rest of us who actually do are still drooling over used fx50s on auto list i guess anyway uh i'm on to beer four by the way um actually it's Beer five. It, my buddy Eduardo told me it's always beer one when anybody asks you. Getting a little smaller, we, we have a preview of the Hyundai Kona, the South Korean brand's very late entrance into the compact crossover scene. Originally, Hyundai said that the Kona wasn't coming to the U.S., but uh, they were either lying or idiots because what would they... <laughs> what kind of... Idiot wouldn't sell a compact crossover here. Um, that's pretty much all half of what people buy anyway. So they've reached a that they've either reconsidered or or reneged on their lie and are bringing the Kona here, and it's a sort of a quirky Jeep Cherokee esque style compact crossover with LED eyebrows and lower headlights to uh, to look fun. Um, and, and while Hyundai's styling is going quirkier with the Kona, the brand that arguably started the goofy small crossover with the Juke, Nissan has introduced the Kicks, giving automotive journalists the opportunity to whip out every single variation of Nissan Kicks the Juke to the Curb headline imaginable. 
So, sure, the juke was weird looking and the kicks definitely looks more like other Nissans, but I guess I just prefer weird to bland. The The great news for buyers is if you're looking for a small compact crossover, now you can get your kicks. Hashtag cliche. Uh, Toyota went the macho route with its FTAC concept, which is not the same as an Imperial AT-AT, despite the similarity in nomenclature. It's basically what would happen if an old Toyota FJ Cruiser and the current Subaru Crosstrek did it and had an automotive baby. It's the compact crossover that looks rugged and features acres of plastic cladding to prevent rust from all the rocks and shit you kick up during your awesome off-road adventures. Look for it never. Uh, reason two why the LA Auto Show doesn't deserve a wrap-up is minor refreshes to existing cars. Um... In non-crossover news, we got the new Mazda 6, which features an updated fascia and refined interior in addition to a turbocharged high-compression Skyactiv engine that puts out a respectable 260 horsepower and 310 pounds of torque, which should be providing fun and enjoyment for the whole family. <sighs> also updated were the Range Rover and Range Rover Sport, which, pff, okay. Uh, also, we saw the Carrera T, which we've already seen before, and the new Porsche Boxster and Cayman GTS. We also saw the new BMW i8 and i8 convertible, which feature more range and more power, which is consistent with the general progression of battery technology and should surprise no one. Uh, if you are likely to see these cars on the streets nearby anytime soon, no. Uh, we also learned about the new Corvette ZR1, Convertible, uh, which is uh, 755 horsepower of top-down fury. Uh, it costs more than 120 grand, which is a lot for the plastic fantastic. But damn, you get a lot of good-looking car. Uh, I mean, the best part about the Corvette has always been the cost for performance ratio. And sure, you still get a lot of that out of the standard Corvette and the ZR1, but the, with the ZR1, you're you're moving consistently higher in price range and does it really have the finesse and the polish to justify that price? Uh, if we're talking about the often rumored mid-engine Corvette, which uh, a recently le leaked document claimed will have 850 horsepower from a Turin Turbo V8. Uh, we may be having a different conversation, and maybe the LA Auto Show would have deserved a wrap-up, but 
Um, this is where we are, peddling rumors like we're some sort of Dutch prat house. And uh, uh, that's uh, kind of an inside joke, so go look it up. Uh, reason three why the L.A. Auto Show doesn't deserve a wrap-up is cars that have no hope of making it to production. Uh, a prime example of this is the Ampere Motors $10,000 electrical three-wheeled roadster. It's sort of like the Polaris Slingshot, but a little more mainstream-looking and uh, obviously electric. Um, honestly, this thing looks pretty cool. Uh, it has a 100-mile range, uh, looks fun, and is such a low cost, it would make a really good weekend toy for some, uh, like a, a, a sort of safer motorcycle replacement. I dig it, but it's just a prototype and... I feel like we've been here a lot with these things that sort of come from small tech companies that uh, look great but don't ever actually make it to production. And maybe they'll prove me wrong, and I hope they do because I'd love to try one. Um, you know, in, 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 in other cars that have no hope of making it to production, you know in old cartoons where the, some animators draw cars that um, end up looking like exaggerated versions of the Little Tykes Cozy Coop. Well, that's exactly, basically, what Chris Pangle has done to an actual real car that he worked on for Chinese company Redscape. Um, if that name sounds familiar, Chris Bangle used to work at BMW designing uh, some of the most polarizing cars in the brand's history, and whose work led to the term bangle butt, which is synonymous with shitty design that doesn't really flow well. Um, he also spoke out recently against other car designers, essentially calling them lame and lazy. Um, what this little city car he's made is... Uh, whatever it is, it isn't lazy, but it's also not pretty. Uh, do yourself a favor and, and actually look this thing up, if nothing else, uh, so you can hate it as much as I do. Um, if you don't hate it, please feel free to email me, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and uh, promptly respond with all the reasons that you're wrong. Um, finally, in, in cars that have no hope of making it to production, the six cars that Nissan brought as a part of their Star Wars sponsorship deal. Uh, Lucasfilm artists worked with Industrial Light and Magic to develop these concepts, which were then turned into real cars by a Californian company called Vehicle Effects. But, like, <laughs> who was... What 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 what's the point of putting X-wing wings on a Nissan Rogue or slapping BB-8 on top of a compact crossover? I mean, you you can't buy these cars. They're just they're just gonna turn around and 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 show them at other auto shows. So so what are they for? Uh, arguably, is to generate interest among Star Wars fans and. I'll be honest, I, I, I am a Star Wars fan. I already have tickets to uh, through my good friend Pedro to see Episode 8 on opening night. But 
an automotive brand copping to a much-loved space drama for manufacturing purposes is, is pretty transparent and not at all likely to sway me towards buying a Rogue, <laughs> which, as you know from my rental review, was n not particularly positive. Um, there, there are obviously always exceptions to the rules when it comes to uh, these sort of things. And, and with the LA Auto Show, the exception to this rule was the Jeep Wrangler. Uh, sure, we've seen lots of parts of the new Wrangler for a while, but not the whole car. And, and now that we see the whole thing, it, it's, it's, it's pretty damn impressive. I mean, the Jeep designers didn't have an easy task here. Uh, they had to keep the Wrangler true to its classic design, but update it with modern technology and, and new features that are compelling enough to keep people buying them when other more comfortable, uh, compelling cars uh, are out there. And, and then they did it. With the, the new Wrangler, it has pretty much all of the same features that I liked and the Compass that I drove in Canada in a, a few weeks ago along with some new things and while keeping the off-road capability and classic styling that will appeal to purists uh, there is even going to be a plug-in hybrid version coming in 2020 uh, which is a major step for one of the oldest stodgiest uh, models around uh, rumor has it that the pickup version of the wrangler which is currently in the works um, tentatively called the Scrambler, uh, is also forthcoming with a soft top, which will be great uh, for when you're hauling 2x4s and uh, want a spare concussion or two. Um, in any case, the new Wrangler is actually a worthwhile unveiling that we, that we can look forward to on the roads uh, in, in a very short period of time. Uh, so... In terms of the call to action, this week I took a lift to the airport in St. Louis and was driven by a guy named Khalid. He was an architect back in his home country of Afghanistan and, and has a business degree, but he's stuck working as a pharmaceutical tech and driving a lift part-time to support his wife and kids who live in a uh, sort of less-than-affluent suburb of the city. Um, I like talking to my cabbies when I get in rides just because it's always interesting to hear about people's lives, I think. After all, Always Drive is supposed to be about people's stories, and uh, I'm getting there. Uh, but Khalid is supposed to be driving for Lyft because he can't get any other company here to hire him uh, or to view his experience in Afghanistan as valid uh, therefore qualifying him for a job in his chosen field. And I'm not saying that uh, I know Khalid's a, an excellent architect and you guys should definitely hire him, but uh, certainly building codes are different between here and Afghanistan, which require a different skill set um, required from a third world country. Um, nonetheless, in talking with Khalid, in, in traveling throughout the U.S. this year, I've, I've come to appreciate that, by and large, people are the same. And no matter where you're from, and, and if you have some sort of c 
coastal elitism or some sort of Midwestern inferiority complex as I have, people are all basically the same. And, and although context defines experiences, our experiences are nonetheless valid and worthy of others' attention and consideration. So, for this week's call to action, I want you to think about others' experiences and consider them when you're interacting with others and maybe give a second chance when you might not otherwise have done so. You may be happy that you did. With that, I'll wind up this week's episode. Uh, since it was undoubtedly the most powerful car talked about in this episode, here's a preview of the Corvette ZR1 as filmed while testing on the Nürburgring by Auto Evolution. Uh, in the clip for this video, the Corvette sports some dramatically upswept Basazoku exhaust um, styles to apparently try to meet some of the Nürburgring's sound regulations in Germany. And I'll go ahead and let you be the judge of whether or not it succeeded in that. So, uh, we'll see you back here, more sober probably, next week. Here, friends, is your moment of sadness.